Good morning, everyone. Okay, our reading this morning is from Luke 24, starting with verse 33 and continuing through verse 53. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why are your doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet? That is, I myself touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for, disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be faithful. Then he opened their minds to to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for for, for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifted up the hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them, and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. You believe that God raises the dead? I'm sure that you believe he raised Jesus from the dead. I'm not sure, though, that we realize just how pivotal that is. Because it seems like sometimes we just treat the resurrection like another miracle. A last, maybe ultimate proof that Jesus is God's Son. It does prove that Jesus is God's Son. But it's also a lot more than that. That's why this passage emphasizes how real Jesus' resurrection was. It was important to Dr. Luke, as God's Holy Spirit carried him along, that we know with certainty that Jesus wasn't a spirit floating around. His tomb was empty. And as he appeared before his startled disciples, he had flesh and bones. Now, he had changed. He was able to go unrecognized until he revealed himself. He was able to just appear in the middle of locked rooms. He was able to go 
into God's presence in heaven to live forever. But this wasn't just another miracle. Yeah, he killed some people, he cast out some demons, he rose from the dead. No, Jesus said his resurrection was what the whole Bible had been leading to. That his rising from the dead was the inflection point for all of human history. This was the moment when everything changed. That's why it would be both the mission and the message of his church from then on. Just before ascending, Jesus told his apostles, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What do you think Jesus was saying that they were going to be witnesses of? Of his biography, his life story. Were they going to be witnesses of the miracles that he performed and his teachings? Were they going to be witnesses of how he sacrificially gave his life for our sins? Well, yeah, that was all part of it. But the first time that the Apostle Paul served as his witnesses, just a few days after he said this at the Jewish festival of Pentecost, Peter preached in Acts chapter 2 and verse 32, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Or a short time later, he said, you killed the author of life in Acts 3.15, whom God raised from the dead to this we are witnesses. You see, that was the message. Jesus' apostles weren't going around saying, hey, we're starting a new church. You should come join. They weren't going around saying, hey, there's a new law, and it's a lot easier to keep than the old one. You should try this instead. They weren't saying, hey, we're going to teach you a different philosophy, a different way of thinking so that you can live your best life now. No, their message was Jesus. God sending him to show his love, to show us what our lives should be, and to save us from our own sins, from the ruin and death that our sins bring. By Jesus dying in our place, by Jesus being buried, but especially by Jesus rising. We see that over and over again, especially in the book of Acts. The message was Jesus. When persecution rose up against Jesus' followers, and they had to scatter everywhere. So Philip finds himself preaching Jesus in a village in Samaria. He finds himself preaching Jesus to an Ethiopian official in the middle of the desert. And it was a personal encounter with the resurrected Jesus that changed Saul, the church's fiercest persecutor, and to one of its most effective witnesses of all time, who we know better as the Apostle Paul. They were all witnesses of the resurrected Jesus. And being witnesses of that, that changes things. You might remember in a past sermon, I told you before about a fellow named Chuck Colson. Colson came to infamy in the 70s as being associated with the Nixon administration during the Watergate scandal and was one of the conspirators that actually went to prison because of his role. 
Colson actually came to believe in Jesus while incarcerated because of the resurrection. And specifically what Colson noticed as he was studying the Bible was that he had told a lie with 12 of the most powerful people in the world and it lasted a few weeks. As soon as people started getting arrested, as soon as people started getting prosecuted, as soon as people started going to jail, the truth started to come out. People were throwing each other under the bus. But Jesus is apostles. These weren't 12 of the most powerful people in the world by earthly standards. These were regular guys. And for weeks, months, years, decades, when threatened, when arrested, when killed, they never changed their story. Their story that Jesus rose from the dead bodily stayed the same for the next 30, 40 years until they had laid down their lives. That witness convinced guys like Chuck Colson. And he responded. That changed his whole life. And that's exactly what we see the apostles doing as they go around preaching and acting. When the Apostle Paul gets to the ancient city of Athens in Acts chapter 17, he preaches Jesus to that city full of intellectuals and full of idolatry. And as he preaches Jesus to them, he makes it clear that if it's true that Jesus rose from the dead, something like that demands a response. It demands that we repent. And specifically, when we say that word repent, that means we have a total change of mind. We have a total change of direction. You see, resurrection is not just something that we agree happened. If it is true, if we really believe that God's Son Jesus is alive right now and is reigning as King, the way we live has to change. How does your life change? What are old ways that you've turned away from because of Jesus? Who have you loved sacrificially? What have you done courageously because Jesus wrote? How are you right now living more abundantly, more joyfully, more peacefully because Jesus rose? Or are you? Because the sad fact is not everyone responds to that good news of the resurrection of Jesus. Like when the Apostle Paul later in Acts was tried in the Roman city of Caesarea by the governor of the message that Jesus was the risen king of all had started a riot in Jerusalem and it landed Paul in Felix's custody. So given a chance to defend himself, in Acts chapter 24, in verses 14 through 15, Paul said, I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. You see that? He even used the court system 
to share the good news about Jesus. To share that resurrection is what the whole Bible was leading to, just like Jesus said right after he was resurrected. That the hope of rising from the dead changes everything, just like Jesus showed when he rose from the dead. Now that piqued Governor Felix interest. But when they talked more about it, Felix learned that faith in Christ is not just believing that that happened to Jesus. In Acts 24 and verse 25, he spoke about faith in Christ and found out from Paul that that means reasoning about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. Because resurrection is not just a theological concept. It's a life-changing reality. If you really believe that Jesus rose from the dead, if you really believe that Jesus is in heaven reigning right now, if you really believe that that living and reigning Jesus is one day coming back, you can't stay the same. You can't ignore what he teaches. You can't put your personal priorities above his. And that can be alarming. Because that's not how most people think of religion. That means that it's actually about more than just what I personally believe. That means it's more than just checking a box and going through some motions now so that I know that I'm okay later. It means that what we do matters. Felix wasn't ready for that. So he checked out. Go away for the present, he told Paul. When I get an opportunity, I'll send you. But you know that opportunity never came. Two years later, Felix's term as governor was up. And he left Paul in prison. Which made Paul's trial the next guy's problem, who was a Roman governor named Festus. So hearing about Paul's case, Festus really couldn't figure it out. He was talking to a Jewish co-worker named King Agrippa about it. And it really didn't seem like Paul had committed any crimes according to Roman law. But listen to how he described it. He said Paul had with the Jews certain points of dispute with him about their own religion. This is Acts 25 and verse 19. And about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Now, Agrippa happened to know something about those disciples. And he had been curious to hear this Paul speak. So the next day, they gave Paul an audience. The room was full of military tribunes and prominent men. And this is what the Apostle Paul said. In Acts chapter 26, in verse 2, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Griffin, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life and my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They've known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I've lived as a Pharisee. And now, I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day, and for this hope I'm accused by Jews, O king. 
Why is the thought encouraging by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them. I persecuted them even the foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midnight, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuted? It is hard for you to kick against the gods. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God performing deeds and keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I've had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Given the chance to speak before Gentiles, people that didn't grow up knowing the Bible, before kings, people with life and death authority, before his people, the children of Israel, Paul preached the gospel. He was a witness to the good news of Jesus' resurrection. And appreciate that for a second. He was given a chance to defend himself, and he talked about Jesus. How Jesus had changed his life. How strictly he had followed the law of Moses. How sure that he was that Jesus' followers were wrong. And then how he saw Jesus. How he saw Jesus after Jesus was supposed to be dead. How he saw Jesus not dead, but alive and glorious. With glory that only God himself could possess. And that's what everything was really about. It wasn't about his philosophical disagreements with the Jews. It wasn't about the Roman legal system working out was supposed to. It wasn't about whether or not that Paul was a good guy or a bad guy. What it was about was whether or not they believed what the Bible had said all along. That God would raise the dead. 
It's about whether or not they believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And not just that Jesus rose, that they believe everything had changed because he did. It did for Paul. This man's whole direction, his whole purpose in life changed. And not in a way that was just private or personal. Believing that God raised the dead. That God raised Jesus meant Paul had to tell people. He couldn't keep it to himself. He had to go proclaim it. From then on, Paul's whole mission in life was to open people's eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that their sins could be forgiven, so that they could be God's people. You see, one hurt that we sometimes encounter is believing that God can raise the dead and that he has raised Jesus. As these guys went around preaching in Acts, we see that a lot. We see it in Athens. We see it in Jerusalem where they have intellectual reasons, where they have philosophical, religious reasons for not being able to accept that. We also see it today. We see it today and folks just find it really hard to believe that dead people came back to life, that this particular dead person actually came back to life. But I'm going to make an assumption here that if you're spending your Sunday morning sitting here listening to me, when there's a lot more fun things you could be doing, that you've maybe cleared that hurt. That you do at some level believe that Jesus actually rose. You trust the testimony of the apostles. You believe that scripture is reliable. You recognize the significance, like Chuck Colson, that the apostles never recanted their testimony. But appreciate that believing all of that's true is really just the start. Because Paul had to also completely change direction. And change is hard. Change requires sacrifice and pain, especially if it's a change to live differently. While everything else in the world, all the powerful and influential, are still acting like Jesus isn't king. They're still acting like everything's the same as it's always been. Now, when I'm talking about pain, to be clear here, I'm not talking about dragging yourself to church once a week. And let's be honest, that's a struggle for some of us to pull that one off. I'm talking about your total purpose in life changing. Your outlook. Your focus, your motivation changing. I'm talking about tapping into a source of energy, of passion, that lets you love freely and live generously and act courageously. Paul's ability to live differently, his ability to teach other people to live differently and do it with confidence, with hope, was because he didn't just believe that Jesus rose. He believed that Jesus was the first to rise from the dead. He believed that if we live for Jesus right now, if we live with Jesus right now, we will rise too. And that brings light into our lives now and when this world's darkness pushes back. When we are confronted with mistreatment, 
or persecution, when we have to deal with sickness or even death, we know that it's still worth it. Because through all of those things, we are being prepared for the resurrection still to come. And when that happens, everything will be so much better that whatever we have to go through to get to it, whatever we have to give up, will be worth it. Paul was so convinced of that that he wanted it for everyone. But to some people, that sounded crazy. In Acts chapter 26 and verse 24, and as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I'm persuaded that none of these things have escaped his notice. For this has not been done in the court. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am. Except for these chains. Festus just couldn't sit there anymore because Paul was crazy. Dead people rising, a crucified Jew as king, a future hope worth willingly suffering for, denying yourself for, absurd. And it sounds just as crazy to our world, too. Resurrection's unscientific. You should do what makes you happy. Don't worry about a higher authority or future hope. YOLO, y'all! But it was different for a Griffin. He'd seen some of the evidence. He knew some scriptures. He believed. But would he believe that God raised Jesus? As he got to walk around places with all of this authority and pomp, would he believe that everything changed? Would he want everything to change? Almost. He was almost persuaded. In fact, the way I read it, he seems a little amused that Paul seemed to think one little speech might make him a Christian too. But Paul wasn't joking. Paul wasn't standing up teaching a history lesson the way some of us do Bible studies. He wasn't just sharing his personal opinion the way the world tells us our religious convictions should be. Paul believed that God raises the dead. That Jesus rose and that we will all rise either to a resurrection of life in God's presence forever or to face judgment as enemies of King Jesus. And Paul wanted everyone, Festus and Agrippa, the tribunes and prominent men, even the Jews who had accused him and wanted to kill him, 
Whether they just heard him this once or whether they got to talk to him a bunch, he wanted all of them to believe. To believe that Jesus rose. To believe that everything had changed. To believe it so strongly that their lives changed too. Though, ideally, without them spending years in prison like he was. And you know what? I get it. As much as I can. My faith's not as strong as Paul's. I am nowhere near as bold as he was. I haven't gone through or given up near as much as he did for the cause of Christ. And the worst day that I've ever had, I would venture to say, say is still a million times more comfortable than his best day was. But for all my limitations, to the extent that I'm able, I get it. Because I have had the opportunity to learn that Jesus' resurrection wasn't just so that I know he did it. So that I memorize some Bible verses about how he did it and go to church and still be pretty much the same person I've always been. And still be pretty much the same person I would have been, whether or not I knew about Jesus. See, I get what it's like to discover a whole new purpose, a whole new meaning for your life, where you don't get up and just live each day so that you earn that next pay rate or that next title change, or so that you can get more stuff. I get giving things up to serve Jesus. I get learning that he is alive, that he does reign, and his reign is so absolute, it includes reigning over what I do for work, or where I lay my head, or how I love my family. I get that because he reigns over all of that, he cares about all of that. He is present in all of that. And I get how free that makes me feel. How much joy and excitement and peace there is in it. Joy that I never felt talking to people about Jesus when I only did it because I felt like it was my obligation as a Christian. Excitement that just singing or taking communion or throwing some money in the box didn't give me when my focus was just on checking the box and saying I did it. Peace that was missing from my life when every decision I made, I was just making on my own what I thought was best. Jesus changed that for me. And I want that for you. I want that for all of you. If you are years into your Christian walk, I don't want you to walk in here on Sunday morning and have the main thing you notice 
I don't want you to walk out of here and go out for lunch with your family on Sunday afternoon and have the main thing you talk about be whether I didn't wear a tie and I did wear jeans. I want you to come in here and see innumerable angels in festal gatherings The risen Jesus. That's what I want for you. If you find yourself right in the thick of it, in the prime of your life, what I want for you is that you feel purpose and energy, not the weight of all of your activities. I want you to experience doing things not because it's expected of you, but because you've truly reached the conclusion that this is the best thing I can do. This is going to be worth it. This is going to be good for me. This is going to be good for the people I love. This is going to be good for the world around me. And if you're a kid, I want you to learn devotion and commitment to Jesus that I was well into my adulthood before I ever learned I want you to be so excited about Jesus, so brave to serve Jesus, that my ceiling, as high as I can possibly get, is your floor. So that you go farther and do more in the name of King Jesus than I could ever hope to achieve. That's what I want for you. That's what I believe will be best for you. And if you're not yet in Christ, and by that I mean if you personally, out of your belief, not your parents, your belief, that God sent his son Jesus to die for your sins, that he rose from the dead and now reigns as Lord. If you haven't personally, in response to that, because you believe that, guide to yourself. Been buried, by which I mean immersed. Not sprinkled, not poured, buried like Jesus and the apostles did. In the waters of baptism. Not as a final box to check so you know you're going to heaven when you die, but as the start of a new life. As a tomb that you break out of to live the rest of your life in light of the resurrection. If you haven't done that, I would like to persuade you. I would like to persuade you not to talk yourself into waiting until it's convenient, like Felix said. I'd like to persuade you to do it now, to do it today, if this short talk is enough. Or tomorrow, or the next day, or however many long talks with however many different followers of Jesus it takes for you to become like I am. 
And to be clear, not saying I'm perfect, because goodness knows I am not. No, be like I am and be saved. Be saved from yourself. Be saved from yourself. And when Jesus comes and we join him in the resurrection, be saved from death itself. Be a Christian. Do you believe that God raises the dead? I know you believe. So how are you going to respond? If I can help you with that, talk to me before you leave today. We're going to sing and sing.